Cool. All right. Welcome to this online workshop on building high-performing research teams. My name is Dr. Richard Heismans. I'm sure you're aware of that, given you're registered for this. So I'd love to know, uh, what's your experience of working in a, a research team? I've got a poll up there. I'd love if you responded. Yep, so some someone's put that in a high performing team. Hopefully you can see the poll there. If you can respond, that'd be great. Thank you. So it looks like most people are in a team. Some people feel like they're in a team that could do better. Um, I'll just share the results with you now. Um, doesn't look like anyone on the call manages teams. If that's that's okay, um, but we'll continue. We'll continue on, and we'll see what we get to in terms of how you might be able to improve the performance of your team or create a high-performing research team. Uh, just some housekeeping. This is being recorded. It'll go on my YouTube channel and it will go on my podcast. So just bear that in mind when you're participating. I prefer if people are participating for them to open their mic and video and chat. Um, if you want to type in the chat, that's okay too. Sometimes I miss what's in the chat because it's hard to keep track of everything as we go. So feel free to open your mic and, and talk as we go. Uh, if you want to take photos of anything that you see, I'd love if you um, tagged me in the photos that you've got with wherever you might share them. Um, so whether you share them on social media or whether you share them uh, with colleagues, uh, I'll try to let you know where I get most of the content from so you can reference the reference itself. Uh, yeah, so just let others know that I'm the source of the content and obviously where I got it from as well. In terms of me, I help researchers answer the question, what next? And so if you're creating a team, the what next question might be, how do I get it to be a high-performing uh, high performing team? I think the heart of a high-performing team is to employ some kind of project management methodology. And if we have a look at most of the high-performing team research that's out there, they don't necessarily mention project management as a thing, but lots of the elements relate to project management. So I think it's really, um, if you think you want to implement or have a high-performing team, if you haven't got something that helps manage project management, I think that's where you probably need to start. If we have a look at some of um, perhaps the, the most high-performing teams that are out there, and the quintessential example is um, the pit crew in Formula One, um, we have a look at what they focus on to create their high-performing team. So one of the reasons why they are considered high performing is because they can basically perform um, lots of work on the car simultaneously with lots of people. And as you can see from this photo, there's lots of people about to work on the car that don't get in each other's way. Um, they all have um, their own role and they stick to it. And the car is in and out of the pit in um, generally less than two seconds, often not much more than one second. 
So what do we know about how they are high performing? The first thing is everyone has a very specific role. So if we go back, you can see uh, in this image that there's someone holding an existing tire, there's someone without a tire. So that person will take the tire off, the person with the tire will put the tire on. Um, and you might even notice that there's someone whose job it is to use um, what's called the rattle gun, the, the um, thing that takes the nuts off the, um, or the tire nuts off. Um, so you've got for one change of tires, you've got three people, one person to undo the nuts, one person to take the tire off, one person to put the new tire on. And so all of that, obviously there's an opportunity for people to get in the way of each other, but having those defined roles can mean that um, you can get very specialized in that role. So again, one of the ways of creating a high performing team is to have very defined and clear roles. Um, obviously when it comes to putting a tire on a car and taking it off, there is a, a um, intuitive order that that must take place. You can't put a new tire on until you've taken the old tire off. You can't take the old tire off until you've undone the nut. So there's an order that these things take place in. Um, but, and so in Formula One, that's really important. But again, in research, you might find the same thing that you might want to make sure that you know what the orders are. So the first two things that we can learn from um, high-performing teams outside research is that roles are really well-defined and um, that there's an order that, or a process to follow. The next thing is that there's a clear leader to the whole process. So if we go back to the image here, um, the guy or the person in the middle there that's got the sign up that says breaks, right in the middle there, um, that person is notionally the leader of the whole pit stop. So they will instruct the driver when and where to stop. And as you can see, there's a sign that says brakes. That sign will switch when the um, to what the driver has to do next. And that person at the front there is leading the entire pit stop. They are looking to all of these other people to see what they are doing next. So there needs to be clear leadership. It doesn't mean that it has to be autocratic, uh, but it does mean that you know who the leader is so that you know um, who to take your instruction from. So clear leadership is really important. The other thing that these Formula One teams describe as being really important is planning for failure. Um, so the idea that understanding that things will go wrong um, and that if they do go wrong, what you'll do in that circumstance. So the example that Formula One teams often um, describe is if there's a change in weather conditions, which means the pit strategy has to um, change. You might need the, the driver themselves might decide that they're going to come into pit, which is unusual. Normally the pit crew tells the driver when to come in. Um, and so then the crew needs to be um, ready and mobilized within um, not uh, anything more than seconds uh, in order to come and do whatever it is that, that needs to be done to the car. So this idea about planning for things failing or planning that things would go wrong and how you'd respond to that um, situation. So in project management parlance, that might be called your risk mitigation strategy. Um, so that's another thing that we've learned. And so one of the reasons why these four things, um, roles, leadership, um, process and planning for failure, we know that those are important is because when other organisations, so in healthcare, for example, they have gone to Formula One teams to work out what's the best handover process for patients moving from surgery to ICU. Um, those are the things that the pit crew were really like when they looked at the process that happens in healthcare. Um, there's lots of similarities. There's lots of people working on one thing like in the, in the 
case of health of patient, in the case of Formula One, a car. Um, and But the, they could see that the roles weren't defined. There wasn't a clear leader. Um, they weren't um, uh, preparing for failure. Uh, so those are some of the things that they focused on. Are there any questions about those things from Formula One and high-performing teams? No? Thumbs up if you're all good. Yeah, cool, thank you. Um, I think there are still a few things missing. So if I had a look for what happens in high-performing teams outside um, Formula One racing, and I guess the next area that intuitively comes to mind is sport. Um, and some of the things that they talk about in sport and the management of high-performing teams is the ability to resolve conflict. So they don't talk about not having conflict, but they talk about being able to resolve it and being able to openly talk about the problems that they might be having with other members of the team, the system that they're using, the leadership, whatever it might be, and that they can resolve that conflict. Um, the other thing that is clear in sporting teams that is less was less evident to me from the Formula One example is the idea of having a series of norms or a series of cultural things that we do all of the time that helps set up the team to operate in the way that we want it to. Um, so in sporting teams, if we kind of combine this idea of norms and conflict resolution, we might have a norm that says we never leave training without having resolved a conflict that might have taken place or we'll never carry the grudge home with us or um, that if someone in the, that if we're doing, let's say, running drills and someone is falling behind, that as a team, we'll look to bring them forward with us, we'll encourage them, et cetera. That might be a norm that you have um, in the team. Are there any questions or experiences that people want to share about maybe you've driven a Formula One car or you've driven a car or you've been involved in a pit crew or maybe you've been involved in a sporting team and some of the things that you think might transfer over into research teams? You can put it in the chat or open up your mic. Oh, nothing. That's okay. Um, so what do I think this means for building a high-performing research team? Uh, the first thing is, I think, to understand what we mean by high-performing. And so um, this is one that I just pulled out of a, a resource here from a few years ago, um, and so it's a group of goal-focused individuals with specialized expertise, complementary skills that collaborate, innovate, and produce superior results. And I think from a research perspective, that's what we're interested in, the superior results. Um, I'd love to know from you all, what do you think are superior results in research? Um, is that writing more grants? Is that getting more grant money? Is that writing more journal articles? Is it conducting more experiments? Is it collecting more data? I'd love to know. What do you think, um, I guess, what would high performance look like in a research team? You can either open your mic and say, or you can type in the chat. You don't need to put your hand up, just open your mic and talk, Simona, thanks. All right. Um, well, I guess it depends on which part of the team you're in. Yeah. So if you're at the higher end of the team, 
So for me, leading a group, success yeah. is um, getting not just one successful grant application, but a run of su successful grant applications over mm -hmm. many years to sustain the group. Yeah. But for the individuals in the group, success would be getting papers out, yeah. I think, for the research members. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so definitely in the literature, high-performing teams, they talk about being able to do this consistently. So it's not one off. So I really like that you said a run of successful grants. And um, I agree with you that there's probably a difference between where you sit in the whole thing as to what your idea of high performance is. Um, and that maybe as an individual journal articles might be more high performance than um, grants, particularly if someone else is responsible for the grant writing and grant um, collection aspects of your team. Does anyone else want to share what they think high performance is for a research team? No, that's all right. We can continue. So um, there's a guy uh, whose name escapes me and I'll skip to that, Bruce Tuckman, who came up with this idea of forming, storming, norming and performing. So um, first of all, teams form which is, I think, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, then the teams storm. So this is the idea of working out what the norms are, working out how we communicate, dealing with conflict, resolving conflict, all of that kind of stuff. Then after we go through the storming, we become norm it's norming. So we all of these things now becoming normalised. So the way we work, how we work with each other, we understand that this is the way that we work as a team. And then once we've been able to do that, we move on to performing. So that's when we get the high performance. So if we think if we do norming long enough and let's say we go for 12 months and we get one grant, then we might be able to string that and do another 12 months and get two grants. And so by that time, you might start to think, oh, maybe this team is now performing rather than just working under normal conditions. Um, can anyone see a team that they're in and, you know, where that, that um, yeah, I'll put it in a poll actually. So what stage is your current, the team that you're involved in, what stage are they currently in? I've just got the poll there. Cool. Great, so I'll share those results. So it looks like most of you are saying that you're just getting started in your team. Uh, Um, and there's a few that are in it. So I'd love to know for those that are just getting started, do you think you're at the forming stage because you just joined the team or there are new people joining the team? Or do you think that in terms of trying to create a high performing team, there's probably still a, that you need, still a bit that you need to know. I'd love to know for those people who ticked forming, what you think. Like what, I'd love to know why, I guess, you're at the forming stage. just creating a team yeah 
So Shannon, did you form the team like whatever last week? Is that sort of what's happened? Uh, pretty close to that. Yeah, probably within the last month or so. We're just, yeah. just getting started. Oh, great. So opportunity to set things up well from the start. Hopefully. Yeah. And you don't have to answer these questions if you don't want to. Uh, but are you leading the team? You're a team member? Leading the team. Yeah. Oh. So we're just uh, creating our very own first research team within my service. Yeah. So it's brand new for us. Wow. Um, do you want to tell us a bit more about the team or? Uh, sure. So I am uh, with the paramedic service. I just mm -hmm. finished an MSc in EPI. Mm -hmm. We've historically done a lot of collaborating on research with other people. So we've joined a lot of physician studies, usually emergency department focused. Yeah. Um, and we're just moving uh, into doing our own research. So we've created research as an org chart piece in our service, which mm -hmm. is um a big deal for us and we're just kind of building our team and getting started yeah great um thank you for sharing that um so there's a question can i uh, at a different stage of research team building should we have different expectations in terms of output productivity and funding definitely um so when you're forming i mean Shannon might be able to talk to this now it's really difficult to write successful grants you don't even know who's on your team um, and so as a result, you might find that you are not that successful in terms of funding. Um, in terms of the outputs, it'll, given the team is still forming, there might be, you might want to build a team of six or seven people. And so obviously, if you've only got one person, the output will be lower than seven people. Um, and then productivity will do down to the individuals that are currently in the team as to whether that um, whether you'll be going well or not. So the whole idea is that, yes, as you transition through these different stages, you will definitely have a different um, sort of output that you might expect um, from your team or from your group. Um, in terms of how Bruce um, defines all of this, this is just a cut and paste from um, a HR website. Um, that's hence why they talk about things like DISC and Myers-Briggs. Um, and so one of the things that I think is really important, having been in different sporting teams and research teams, is the storming bit. So it says here about being a rocky stage um, where people challenge each other, challenge the leader. Um, but I think that's really important because it allows you to be open about the way that your own performance is um, headed. I think in research, we're, um, we're really good at being critical of each other, but I don't think we do it that well. And I don't think that we resolve conflict very well because we tend to give feedback in ways that are set up to be anonymous and it can be not very pleasant um, for anyone involved. So I think this is a really good uh, opportunity during the storming phase to um, change the way feedback is given and received. And if you're interested in looking at more closely at how to give and receive feedback. Um, there's a book that, uh, that I've read many times now, which is writing a journal article in 12 weeks. And there's a section on giving feedback around your journal article. But I think that section is really useful, uh, regardless of whether you're giving feedback on a journal article or a grant or uh, an individual's performance in a project or, a or the team. Um, having perhaps read some of what's on that slide, does anyone have any thoughts or questions about forming, storming, and norming and performing?
Cool. So I mentioned earlier that um, project management, I think, is at the heart of high-performing research teams. Um, and there's some evidence to suggest that when we do involve project management in research, we increase the number of outputs that we get. Um, and that's from um, a research paper that was published in 2015. So this idea of understanding what we want to achieve from the research. So uh, you might want to set a goal of writing four grant applications in a year. You might want to set a goal of writing um, on average one journal article per quarter per team member. So four articles per person per year. Um, if you set those kinds of goals and then obviously put plans in place to meet them. So, you know, allocate time to write the articles, obviously allocate time to research them. In those instances, you get an increase in the number of outputs. Like I said, journal articles, results, um, grant outcome, grant applications, et cetera. Those are the kinds of things that make a difference or that can be managed to create those kind of outputs. And if those are the kinds of things that matter to you, then maybe, again, like I said, adopting a project management approach might be really useful for you. Um, a recent, uh, more recent article from 2018 um, found that team productivity for, um, for researchers is that there's shared work values. So what I've seen a lot in research teams is that there can be differing values around the research and around the process of the research or around the way the research is conducted. So um, hiring people who have similar or the same work values as you is um, yeah, really important to um, making sure that your team is high performing. Um, Shannon or anyone else who might want to share, have you been involved in, in building a team and how have you kind of checked that your values are aligned? All right, that's all right. No one wants to share. Um, one of the things that you can do for alignment of values is ask people what's important to them. You can tell them what's important to you in your research team. Um, you can talk about things that might challenge people's values. Um, in speaking to a lot of a lot of PhD students, it's clear to me that values to some people are clearly not money, not motivated by getting increased pay. They really want to make a difference. And so if they feel like they're on a part of the project that isn't making the biggest difference, that can be a, a thing that means that their values aren't aligned to the values of the work that they're doing. Um, and so sometimes you can just be asking that direct question, you know, what, what, are you value, what are your values? Or you might ask, why do you want to be part of this research team? Or what are you hoping that this research team can produce? What do you want to, want to have as your contribution to the team? All of those things can help you um, get to the values of the individuals that are involved. I presume no one wants to ask a question, given no one did before but you're more than happy if you want to interrupt. So someone's asked, should we only recruit the team member with shared values? Um, should, so there is, there is an argument to say that we should reject people that don't share the same values as us, but you need to work out are they not aligned or you don't know what they are just yet. So um, 
can you give us an example of where they might be where you might reject someone because they don't have the shared the same value as you So like I would think of if we go, the money one's a real easy one. Like some people might not necessarily be motivated by money, but they're really keen to get paid appropriately. So, um, and you're, or they might be keen to translate your research into practice and get money for that. Um, not necessarily for themselves, but for the research group. Whereas the research leader might just want it to be um, out in the real, out into the world as paid, um, yeah, so if someone is only looking for a job but someone else is looking for a high-impact paper, I think that can create some definite problems because what might be... So the high-impact paper is the big issue for me. A lot of people, um, I guess, struggle with the idea of what is needed to create a high-impact paper. Um, and so if all you want to do is work nine to five but someone wants a high-impact paper, then I think that could create some trouble because a lot of the times people conflate high impact research with doing more research or doing collecting more data points. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes you need to collect more data points or sometimes you need to do more experiments to get it into a more a higher impact journal. Um, but in some cases, it's just luck. Like you've happened to ask the right question or you happen to um, do, do an experiment that results in an outcome that is going to have a high impact because it changes the way we think or it confirms something that previously was really difficult to confirm. Um, I think there are a lot of people out there who, who are just, quote unquote, looking for a job. And the reason why we're in that situation at the moment is... Um, research is becoming highly competitive and people aren't interested in being working in a in that kind of environment and they don't feel like there's a reward for effort so you might talk about they might say oh, I'm just interested in a job but if you can talk to them about what kinds of things they feel that they should be doing and how their effort can be rewarded that might help you under, better understand what their what their values are um, and certainly if you're a team leader looking for a high impact paper, I think as part of your recruitment process, you should be talking to people about that's what drives you and that's what they can expect from you. Um, and I think that'll make it a bit easier for people to self-select whether they want to work with someone like that. I hope that helps. Um, so if you want to build a um, high-performing team, you can look at what is... Um, what makes them work. So if we go back to where we started, where we talked about leadership as a factor, so obviously a barrier to a high-performing team would be no leadership or um, leadership that is absent. Um, and I've seen that happen a lot in research teams where the group leader is only present um, one or two days a month, if that. And as a result, it can feel like there's no one um, around to support or direct. Um, obviously, if we need clear roles, then the barrier to that is no roles. But I also think one of the things that we could do more effectively in research is not necessarily delegate, but divide the research up into parts that we then hand off from one person to the next. So not that we need to do it as fine-grained as having three people to change a car tyre, but there could be, like, for example, in, in wet lab research, which is where I come from, 
um, there are certain techniques that in the in the lab that we were in that we did all of the time. And some people were really good at those techniques and some people weren't as good. Um, and so then there's an opportunity, I think, to say, well, if we divide the task up and get the people who are really good at doing this piece of work and they can do it quickly and they can do it effectively for the entire group, why wouldn't you say to them, can you do everyone's, what in this case it was SDS page and Western block, can you do everyone's experiment um, and then obviously you'll get on the paper for doing that, but it also means that we can speed up how productive we are. Um, so that might be a way that you can create clear roles in a team. You might have someone who is really good at writing um, and they might be the person that always gets involved in grant writing or always gets involved in journal article writing simply because they are such a a great writer and they do a really good job of um, expressing themselves and, exp and explaining the research. Um, you might have someone who is really good at word processing and so they are much better at taking the document that the writer has written and making it ready for submission, whether that is to get all the headings and the formattings and all of that right. Um, or they might be really good at creating figures. So you might give them the raw information and they'll help you create your figure. So this idea of roles, I think we need to you know, consider more strongly in the way we conduct research. In a lot of um, factories, I guess is the word that I'm thinking about, the roles are really broken up into minute parts. And I don't think that we need to go down that track in research, but it's useful to think, well, if we did break up what we do as a team into bits that we're all expert in, what would that mean for us as a team? How could that improve our productivity? Um, an example that I talked about in a blog that I wrote about delegation is um, social media. I think everyone thinks that they need to be on social media, but some people are more attuned to it than others. And so if you're building a research team, maybe there are people already within the team who are on social media, or maybe there are people who are already in the team who are really keen on promoting their research via social media. And there might be other people who don't really care. So rather than trying to push the people who don't care to also be on social media, why not get those that do care and are already active to take the role of doing the social media for the entire research group, not just for them as the individual. Um, so obviously having a clear vision. So going back to what um, Kay Chin asked about the high impact paper. So that might be a vision there, getting research grant, that might be another vision there. Other visions could be, you know, um, having an impact translation into practice. It could be, um, <clears throat> excuse me, publishing in general, whatever it might be. So making sure that, that it's really clear to the people what your vision is. And the more specific you can get about your vision for the future, the easier it will be for people to understand how they can align to your vision. Um, and obviously, if you've got a vision of having a real world impact, but an also a vision of um, just getting your work out out via journal publications, maybe those two things don't align. Like it, I've, I don't see a lot of people taking stuff from journal articles and converting it into practice. Generally speaking, there's someone or something in there that takes the article and turns it into best practice and creates something that another entity like an industry partner could use. So you need to be mindful that your vision and your values are in alignment with each other. Um, perhaps, your values are that I don't want to do animal research, but your vision might be to 
um, cure cancer. Not that curing cancer is a thing, but um, so then again, you you might need to real adjust your vision because it might not be possible to cure the disease that you're interested in without doing research on animals. Or you might want to maybe your vision is to um, to cure a disease and to not work on animals, and therefore the the process to get to that point is to make better use of um, artificial intelligence. Um, in terms of how this all relates to individuals, sometimes this plays out as diversity not being appreciated. Um, so I think there's a lot to be said about diverse teams, diversity in terms of gender, diversity in terms of um, ethnicity, but also diversity in terms of background and how you came to be in the research group. So if everyone has come through as an honor student and a PhD student, and now they're in the group, that's not that diverse. But if you've got people from outside, this idea of a, what's the outside, what's the person who has just joined our team as a postdoc, what's their view, and making sure that their views are valued, that we're not ignoring them because they didn't come through the same process that we did. Um, conflict resolution, like we mentioned earlier, if you're interested in conflict resolution and how to set up a process that might work for you, particularly for someone um, like Shannon, who's just starting out building the team, having an idea of what that might look like as a process can be really useful. Um, and you, there's lots of examples if you wanted to look in the sporting domain about how um, sporting teams deal with conflict resolution. Uh, if that doesn't work for you, you can go down a more um, a different route and have a look at how dealing how your university, what their conflict resolution process is. But I reckon you need to part of this idea of resolving conflict internally inside the team is to deal with it immediately. So you'll have to model the kind of behavior that you're after. You'll have to model the open communication. Um, if I go back to the sporting example, um, what I see often is that um, good leaders on sporting teams call out the poor behaviour, but they also really congratulate in the same way as they call out the poor behaviour, they congratulate the good behaviour. So there's a real public calling out of poor behaviour and a public congratulation of good behaviour. So that's probably a, a good way of um, having resolving some of your conflicts. Um, and that also can help you address the norms and culture um, around these kinds of things. So, you know, if you're always telling people off in public but congratulating them in private, that's probably not a good way to set up trust. Um, and maybe you decide that you'll tell people off in private but you'll congratulate them in public, that might be okay as well. Um, one of the things that I've seen happen on, um, I think it was a, an expedition to um, the Arctic was that the, the leader of the expedition decided there would be no triangles. So what she meant by that was that, um, let's say I had a problem with um, another person, um, say for a, a fictitious person, let's call her Jess, uh, and the leader was Bob. So then if I, if I had a problem with Jess, a triangle would be me telling Bob that I had a problem with Jess, whereas what this person said was no triangles. So if that happened, then the, Bob would come and tell me to talk to Jess and facilitate that discussion. So if you want to have that idea of trust, then this idea of no triangles is, a, I think, a really good way of um, working through that. 
Um, and finally, one of the other barriers to a high-performing team is not to have not having a plan of how you're going to deal with things that don't go right, but also have not having a plan in terms of it reaching your goals. So you can have a plan about when we're going to apply for grants, but also you need to have a plan about what happens if we miss that grant, how are we going to get funding if we miss that grant, or how are we going to conduct our research if we don't get all of the research income that we think we should. Are there any questions on all of that? Any other people got ideas on what they think are barriers or facilitators of a high-performing team? Does anyone feel like that a high-performing team is easier to achieve than what they thought, whatever, 30 minutes ago? I think for me and for the team that I'm in, we've kind of yeah. been thrown together in, mm -hmm. we didn't have a chance to come up with a plan. Yeah. So I think starting right at the beginning and knowing that's what you're aiming for, so much easier because trying to go back and do it afterwards uh, can be quite daunting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so have you gone back and done that, Simona? So it's, it's something that between I've run a group with two other people mm -hmm. and it's, something that we keep bringing up that we need to do and formalise and we start doing it a bit and then get lost in the year and that sort of thing. So it's definitely yeah. I've just started writing down notes of things <laughs> that I want to, to do and really yeah. force myself to do them. So, yeah. Great. Let me know how it goes. I'd love to see the, the plan as it comes together. <laughs> Homework that might force me to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You've got all of these witnesses too, so... Uh, are there any other questions? Cool. Um, so we're going to finish up a bit early. If you're interested in working with me on your creating your high-performing team or writing your journal or writing a thesis or doing social media, there's a bunch of programs that I offer. Um, if any of these programs are interested to you, you can type in the chat and just let me know. I'd like to know more about these programs. I also do audits if you're looking for um, a un better understanding of what it is that you're doing. The most common are job search, thesis and social audits. But if you want like an audit of your team or something like that, I can definitely help with that. Um, and if you're thinking, oh, maybe I can get my team functioning and maybe some coaching will be useful. I've got group coaching as well that might be useful to either for your team or for you as an individual leading the team, as well as one-to-one um, -one coaching. In terms of what's coming up next, in two weeks, uh, we'll be looking at a tool that I like to use to manage project management, which is one-page project management. Um, and then the um, fortnights after that, we're focusing on writing a journal article and writing your thesis. Like I said, if you enjoyed this, there are other videos that might be useful. So having tough conversations with your supervisor or your students, those two might be useful. And there's also a video on project management in research. Um, if you're interested in those things, feel free to get in touch with me and I can provide you with links to all of that kind of stuff. If you're interested in joining the newsletter and you're not already part of it, feel free to let me know and I can add you in. Um, if there's no more questions, we can finish up early. No, cool. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your week and afternoon.
If you're not connected with me on social, please do. And I will see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.